Welcome back to House of Green Gables. I'm your co-host, Alicia. And I'm your co-host, Nicole. And this is Gals of Green Gables, an Anna Green Gables podcast. Join us each week as we discuss and journey into the world of Anna Green Gables. Our podcast is spoiler-free, and this week we are talking about chapters 19 to 22 of the first book. Today on our podcast, we have our second ever guest, which is super, super exciting. Um, It's a good friend of mine from university, Peyton. Um, who is originally from Cape Breton. Um, we've been good friends for um, the four, four years we went to undergrad together. And she actually happened to find the podcast all on her own through Instagram and has been reading along with us. So we're very excited to have, we're very excited to have her. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm very excited. <laughs> Welcome. We're so excited. Yes. It's always nice to have a guest. So Peyton, how are you? Um, I'm good. Yeah, that, that was probably the, the only answer you're going to get. I'm fine. Nothing exciting has really happened to me lately. What about you, Alicia? I'm good. I watched In the Heights last night for the first time. I've been meaning to watch it. It was so good. Peyton, I don't know if you watch musicals. I, I do. Uh, I absolutely do. But I have not gotten to that one yet. Well, oh, it just came out in the summer. Yeah. It was good. My brother gave me his Crave login, so I was able to watch that. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, Nicole? Ah, good. It's been a busy week. There hasn't been a whole lot happening here. It's just just going <laughs> is what it is, middle of the semester. Um, just before we get into um, discussing the book, um, I thought I'd share some news that has happened in the Anne of Green Gables sort of world. Um, just this morning, I think, they announced who um, the actress that was going to play Anne in the, their run of the Anne of Green Gables musical in Charlottetown, PEI, this summer. Um, and it is an actress who has previously played Diana. She's originally from Calgary, um, but lives in Toronto now. And her name is Kelsey Verzotti, I think is the way you pronounce the last name and she has been a big fan of Anne for a long time and she is the first ever actress of Asian descent to play Anne so we're very excited I'm sure she's going to be super super good that's so exciting do you know uh what she played Diana in uh it said the production of the musical in the something playhouse in Toronto Thousand Islands Playhouse in sorry not in Toronto in Ontario so maybe we'll get started off today um, by asking Peyton sort of um, what her experience is with the sort of Anne of Green Gables books and um, Anne of Green Gables in general. So I kind of got introduced to Anne in middle school, I think it was. And I was looking back on it. Like, I didn't think I was, but, like, looking back on it, I was kind of obsessed. <laughs> I really was. Um, so I've read the eight books. I've gone back a few times, uh, but usually if I'll go back, I'll just do um, the first three. I am very excited for you guys to get to the third one because I think that is my favorite one. Oh. Um, it's, yeah, I'll, I'll go back to that one most often. Um, so I've done the books. I have seen the miniseries with Megan Follows. I think that one's a miniseries. 
Um, I've done In With An E, which I know it's controversial, but I did really love that one. Um, and it's funny because when Rachel was on, she mentioned that little animated cartoon as well mm-hmm. that Alicia had brought up. And like, I used to watch that with my mom all the time. Wow. Um, I think that's it. Wow, we have an expert. Yeah. <laughs> On our hands. No it, has, it has been a while, though. So. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess I'm the only person that hasn't heard of the cartoon. Then it seems more common than I originally thought when Alicia brought it up. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, apparently it was a popular show. Very strange show, though, looking back on it. Like, very strange. <laughs> I don't actually remember much about it. Just kind of, like, what it looked like. I remember she talked, like, she had, like, an imaginary friend who was a green sort of sprite. I oh. don't know why. Maybe that was just one episode, but I have very vivid memories of that. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Should we start off? with our first chapter. I think this one was my favorite of the four chapters. Um, The first chapter starts with Diana signaling to Anne to come to her house immediately to hear some important news. For Diana's birthday, Anne has been invited to go to a concert with Diana and spend the night at her house in the spare room. While Marilla is completely against the idea with some interference from Matthew, Anne is permitted to go. The concert is delightful, according to Anne, except for Gilbert Blythe's part. And the girls return home. They run to the spare room excitedly and jump onto the bed. Unknown to them, um, Diana's Aunt Josephine has arrived early for her visit and is sleeping in the bed. Aunt Josephine is very cross with Diana and threatens to not pay for her music lessons. Upon hearing this, Anne goes to Aunt Josephine and confesses that it was her idea and apologizes. Aunt Josephine is charmed by Anne and they become kindred spirits. This was a good chapter. Oh, it was so good. And this is something I don't remember. Um, Like, I feel like there are scenes you remember very vividly. Um, but this is one I don't remember from having read it when I was really young. So it was nice to, um, see these chapters. This was a really long one too. Like a lot happened in this one. Yeah. Yeah. First thought, I like the signaling with the candles. Yes. That's a good idea. But it reminded me, I have my first note is signaling with the candles. My equivalent was pixel chatting with like a ds <laughs> with your you know how do you remember pixel chat with the ds i Didn't never used to have a ds but like you could only you had to be within a certain range so it only like worked when we were like on vacation with like cousins and stuff in the summer but like being able to send the the pixel chats to your cousins and be like you have to come over here I have something to tell you. It it feels like the equivalent of Anne and Diana with their candle thing. Our thing we used like before cell phone before we all had cell phones was like MSN. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I remember. Uh, I think it was like a field trip when I was in middle school, and we were all on the bus. And, like the bus was full of just middle school kids. I think it was a band performance or something we were going to. And 
every single, well, not every single, but pretty much every single kid had their DS out and they were just picked a chat on each other. <laughs> um, I have a note for this one. If that's okay. Yeah. Um, I really liked how, um, how much emphasis Dan put on the spare room, the spare room bed. She was so excited to sleep in the spare room <laughs> because, um, I mean, it's still exciting to sleep in a spare room when you're visiting somebody. Because yeah. <laughs> I remember when, I, when you when you're younger, um, you're usually in your like if you're staying over with a friend, you're usually in their room, like on their floor or just um, in the bed. And uh, it's just maybe it's just me not having a lot of sleepovers, but it's only like when you're older and you're visiting. Um, other friends and they're like, oh, we've set up a, a spare room for you. And it's just so exciting. <laughs> I, I feel like it probably also, not here, but it marks a bit of a transition that I don't think I've quite hit yet in my life. Um, where like, because even the sleep or the, when I'm going to stay at friends now, it's very iffy what type of bed, if any at all they're they're gonna have or even if you're in a hotel room with a bunch of people if you're trying to do a trip very cheaply like it's kind of like find it find a space on the carpet hopefully there's a blanket i feel like there'll be some point as like an adult where you go over and like you're given the spare room which is um well much more comfortable but also like i feel like it sort of marks the transition in the adult life from like yeah just find somewhere to sleep find a blanket if you can maybe a pillow to like somebody has thought about the sleeping range i find it's usually um it's their parents so like their parents will have set aside the spare room because they're i don't know what i don't know what it is like i went i visited one of my friends in vancouver a while ago and she had set she even put like a chocolate on the pillow and everything she was very excited see my mom is like that like my my brother's like 18 um and when he has friends over she's like oh no we've got to make sure like maybe we need to like pull the mattress from like somebody's bed down the basement to make sure they're like comfortable and all of that and i'm like mom they're like 17 and 18 year old boys <laughs> like every other house we're going over to the mom is sending down a bag of chips and being like make sure that you all return in the morning <laughs> that's all <laughs> but um my, my mom's kind of like that too she's like no everybody has to have a place to sleep which is nice but just not necessarily something that always happens i did have this might be a dumb question but I was like, what's a debating club concert? And I think we kind of understand it now, but I still don't. I think it was, I'm not sure what a debating club would do. Like, they probably just got together about stuff. But I we think love. it's kind of like what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, they were very um, strapped for entertainment back then, I guess. So they would just like memorize poems and then perform them for each other. Wow. Which is very strange when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, like it's different than, like I'm, I'm sure there are, and there are 
like a choir that performs and stuff but like when we think of concert we think of like music mm-hmm. um, I don't even think anybody was singing really sorry I cut you off there no no I yeah because the debate so Anne is talking about the debating club concert she's been to a debating club concert but this one they're going to is a bigger like is a bigger deal right is the that i got but yeah that was like my only note um and they have a sleepover with an exclamation mark that's it <laughs> marilla is very against this oh yes which like i understand it is marilla she I know they call Mrs. Barry strict. Marilla is also pretty strict. Um, one thing I liked was uh, once Anne was allowed to go, like the day at school before, <laughs> the only girl that wasn't allowed to go was Carrie Sloan. And the quote that I liked was, uh, Carrie Sloan cried into her grammar all the afternoon and felt that life was not worth living. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, the whole the whole debate about going to the concert was was like my favorite because it's like Anne is essentially arguing with Marilla it's almost like going to church you should let me go because it's almost like going to church like the minister's going to be there like there's some poems that have some like religious theming in them like I, I need this this is good for my moral soul and then my favorite part in this whole thing I actually laughed out loud when I read it was they have this whole debate. Matthew is pretending to be asleep. Anne leaves the room. Matthew immediately wakes up, having listened to the whole thing, and starts telling Marilla what he thinks should happen. <laughs> and, like, he didn't even really argue. He just kept saying, like, I think you should let Anne go. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. And I think, I think um, one of the descriptions is he's not an adept arguer. He's just persistent. He's like, he just keeps on repeating that line again until Marilla is annoyed enough she gives up. (laughs) Yeah, he just has the one point, but he will make it several times. Yeah, but I also find it funny. Matthew doesn't interfere in with Marilla's like raising of Anne when it's convenient to him. (laughs) But he interferes when it's convenient to him as well. He picks his spots when he decides he's going to be part of raising Anne. Do you have notes, Peyton? Um, I have I have one. Um, during the concert, um, <laughs> I found it very funny. Uh, during the concert, um, Anne was super into it the whole time. She was like gasping and like laughing louder than anybody else. But then the minute that Gilbert starts talking, she just opens up a book that I think one of Diane's cousins has. Like, she's not even reading the book. She just opened it and, like, pretended to read it the whole time. Like, not even subtle, just, like... (laughs) And she doesn't... Like, I wonder how many people are at this concert. Like, how noticeable is it to everybody? Because, again, like, what you were saying, they're, like, she's laughing at something and the people around her start laughing too mainly out of sympathy because she's laughing very loudly so like how obvious is it like are there only 30 people at this concert how obvious is it that Anne has picked up a book and is not um looking at gilbert though gilbert definitely noticed because 
doesn't Diana say at one point when he was talking about oh, yeah. think he's looking directly at her? Yep. She yeah. does say that. When he came to the line, there's another, not a sister. He looked right down at you. This is what Diana says to Anne. And Anne says, Diana, you are my bosom friend, but I cannot allow even you to speak to me of that person. <laughs> I'm just gonna draw the line here. Just don't talk about him. I love that she's like so determined to like not think of him, not pay him any attention. But it like to the extent that it's so obvious, mm-hmm. like what you're saying of the book, and also that she like starts to say his name and then doesn't. Yeah, like it would be less obvious if she just like said his name every once in a while instead of like making this big point. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> when. When, whenever she says, I think she says a boy or a student a couple times, whenever she's referring to him, everybody knows who she's referring to. And she, like, starts to say his name. She says, like, and it's like, a boy in school. <laughs> yeah, I, when they get home and run for the bed, which, like, was never going to end well, just the way this book is set up, that was, that was not going to end well. But I do find it interesting like it must have you know at a point you get to a point in a sleepover where everything is funny mm-hmm. like you're, you're up late enough uh because they've just like jumped on this poor poor <laughs> woman's bed um and i think at least diana has an idea she's gonna be real mad but diana is full out laughing the entire time like there's no like oh no, this is going to end badly for me. It's just like laughing. And I think they're even laughing about it at breakfast. Like they find it very funny, which objectively it is, but. Well, it was pretty late for them because it said they got home around 11. And uh, when, I'm not actually sure if it was in the next chapter or no, do you know what it was when Anne was trying to convince Marilla to let her go see Diana? She was like, it's eight o'clock. You should be getting ready for bed. So that's way later. And for yeah. bedtime's like eight. Yeah. Especially because it would have gotten dark. Like if it's middle of winter, it would have been dark around five thirty. Afterwards, like when Anne hears about it from, from Rachel, Aunt Josephine's temper is like no joke, she says. Um, where she says she wouldn't speak to Diana at all. Like, how angry do you have to be to just like give your 12 year old niece like the cold shoulder like in the morning like yeah i i also find that scene funny where rachel comes because like she tells she tells Anne this with the express purpose of getting Anne to confess that it was actually her <laughs> who came, who came up with the idea because rachel has a hunch Mm-hmm. And she's like, I need, I need to, I need to know. And Anne, of course, is like, oh no, I don't want Diana to be in trouble. I'm like, it was my idea. And Rachel's like, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't quite, one of my notes is I can't quite figure out what Anne and Rachel's relationship is. Because like at the beginning, like after the apology, you're like, it's, it's all good. Or it feels all good. But then, like, Rachel is also very willing to blame Anne for all problems that might be peripherally connected to her. I mean, 
she must have like the story probably was that both of the girls jumped on you just yes. me i think if you know Anne at all it's not hard to imagine <laughs> that was her idea that's fair just her versus diana who would have who would have decided to do that based on the place names the lake of shining waters versus birch path you know whose imagination is a little bit um and also added. always getting into trouble she is she Literally really has always. a talent for it yes <laughs> and i just have one more note for this chapter unless anybody else says anything which is when Anne goes in to apologize to Aunt Josephine or Miss Barry, I find the Miss and Mrs. Barry thing. I that's why I was calling her Aunt Josephine. I I'm like a very scanny reader, so I'm like, why why are we talking about Mrs. Barry? No, this is Miss Barry. But anyway, they talk about her knitting fiercely when Anne comes into the room as like. Like, and I, I know that they would have knitted a lot in those days, but they also talk about um, Rachel Lind knitting fiercely at the beginning of the book. And I just feel like that's a good intimidation tactic. Like, if I have a meeting, I'm not sure how it's going to go and I need to be more confident. I feel like if I could be sat in the room knitting fiercely, it would really, really intimidate people. But I just feel like... It just, like, throws people off their game if, well, you're having this conversation, you're also, like, have a full pair of socks done. Just, like, <laughs> you're showing up to a meeting with, like, your thesis advice. I just have to, I just have to, like, um, yeah, I just have to um, put everybody in the room a little off balance. Be like, wait, what? No, but I, I feel like I like that description, knitting it conveys, I feel like, the type of person just sitting by the fire absolutely good. So in this chapter, Spring has come to Green Gables and Anne's imagination is going wild at the arrival of the May flowers. Marilla is cross at Anne, who, while imagining neglected chores and burned a pie, when Marilla asks Anne to go over to the berries to pick up an apron pattern, Anne is terrified because she has imagined the woods is haunted. Marilla makes a terrified Anne go anyway, and Anne returns home wearier than before of her own imagination. This chapter I have notes for. <laughs> really enjoyed this one. Um, my first note, which I think is in the first line, so I'm going to go first with it, is I really like the description of a reluctant Canadian spring. <laughs> <laughs> Because I feel like, I know we talk about weather a lot on this podcast, but I feel like that's the exact word for it. Yeah. I don't have a, a ton on this chapter, so Alicia can go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so they're describing, is it like a walk with their class that they're doing? And they're I, picking flowers? I think so. It kind of felt to me like it was sort of a recess thing but maybe oh okay i just know the teacher is there because it says oh like, so maybe it was a he gives flowers to prissy andrews and oh. says what does he say sweets to the sweet anyway but then after that so Anne's telling rilla about all this and Anne says i was offered some of my flowers too but i rejected them with scorn i can't tell you the person's name because i vowed to never let it cross my lips 
Yeah, my my next note is when she's telling Marilla that she's been in Green, Green Gables a whole year. Yeah. See, it feels, I, I think just because of the book and because of how many, there's been so much action that's been packed into this year. I was surprised. I was like, oh, has it only been a year? But it has. Yeah, it goes by pretty quickly for the reader. Just the fact that when she was telling Marilla that she's been there for a year, she says, it was like a, it was like a turning point in my life. Of course, it wouldn't be so important to you. And like she says it very matter-of-factly, but also like, it's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, it says something where Marilla sometimes wondered how she could have lived before Anne came to Green, Green Gables. And you just want, just, just tell her, Marilla. Like, at least tell yeah. her you're glad that she's there. Yeah, she's yeah. definitely like not affectionate with Anne. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a shame just because she's had like such little love in her life. Yeah. I did find it sweet. So Anne is saying how she's been like doing the chores because Marilla has a headache. And Anne says, I do truly wish I could have had the headache in your place, Marilla. I would have endured it joyfully for your sake. <laughs> I thought that was so sweet. Yeah, it was very sweet. And then Marilla very sarcastically I think she said something along the lines of, well, you were able to do the chores and let me rest. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. That's relatively sweet from Marilla. And then it goes on. (laughs) (laughs) And you realize that it was sarcastic. She had burned a pie and starched Matthew's handkerchiefs. Yeah, I I, I was like, oh, it was so sweet. No, no, never mind. So... Marilla wants Anne to go to the berries to get, like, that pattern. But Anne says it's too dark. Um, And she wants to go, like, the long way around then. And Marilla's like, no, just go now and go, like, the short way. And Anne says, I can't go through the haunted wood, Marilla. And I wrote, not the haunted wood. (laughs) I loved, I just loved this. Her talking about how like she wasn't scared of this place before but now that her and diana have well mostly Anne have made up these stories she's terrified yeah see i i feel for i feel for Anne on this one because like it would have been dark it is very um i'm sure peyton you've probably had this experience just um being from like not not a big city but like if there's no lights around you do not realize how dark it is at night until you have to like walk through somewhere and it's just like absolutely pitch dark. You're also in the woods, which is like scary during the day sometimes. Like yeah. there were no street lights back then. Yeah. Yeah. And there's probably there probably like there are things. Like I remember walking back from like campfires in the pitch black and like bats like dive bombing. <laughs> us just in the middle of the night which can be scary but Anne probably is she's also a li- um let her imagination go a little wild i was gonna say she's not scared of bats she's scared of ghosts <laughs> i loved her description i just like marked the whole thing with her description of um all the she really went for it imagining all the different ghosts there the place that she's imagining to be haunted I guess that includes Idlewild, which she'd mentioned before, and Peyton Nicole said you'd, like, research the name. 
Yeah. Whenever I listen to your guys' uh, podcast, it takes me, like, an extra hour to get through it. Just because you always ask, like, really good questions where it's like, huh, I wonder where where that came from. And I'm like, where did that come from? And then I'll Google it for, like, 10 minutes. It's a very fun little scavenger hunt for me. <laughs> but I did um, find... It's weird because in the book, um, it's written where Anne kind of comes up with Idlewild by herself. I think it comes to her when she's trying to sleep. So, but I think um, Ellen Montgomery would have come up with it. Like if there's a bunch of different places called Idlewild, like it's a very popular name for houses and stuff. But I think it originated with um, Nathaniel Parker Willis who was an American author, poet, and editor. Like he was, at the time he was one of the most popular um, authors in New York. And it was in 1846, he went to kind of inquire about a property uh, near Hudson River in New York. And when he first visited, like uh, the owners who were selling it, they described it as an idle wild of which nothing could ever be made. And he liked that phrase so much that he bought the property and he later, and he called it idle wild. And then he later wrote uh, a book in 1861 called Outdoors at Idle Wild. And I'm assuming just because he was a super popular author and his, his works were super popular and he was probably in really large circles that it just kind of caught on okay like the you have the i think nicole mentioned that jfk airport was known as idlewild because um it, the property was previously a golf a beach golf club called idlewild and that's probably like the most most popular instance but i'm pretty sure it comes from parker willis oh no that that's very interesting because i was wondering i was really trying to figure out literally had done the notes in the like hour before the show though i was trying to figure out because i saw the jfk thing and i was like this there must be some connection here like how did the airport and ellen montgomery come up with the name but so that's really neat my my next note unless anybody has anything else is miss Mrs. Thomas and the Lamb story, like Anne's stories of the ghosts. Oh yeah, are kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Like the first one, normal enough, like seeing a deceased husband, like driving home the cows, like all of that. The like beheaded lamb <laughs> that was like an omen that I think it was the brother was going to die within nine days, and then. I mean, he didn't die. Anne did say that. He didn't die, but he died two years later. So it must be. <laughs> so Anne clearly believes in ghosts. Do you guys? Oh. Any ghost stories? I feel like... <laughs> my, my only ghost story is the ghost of the physical science building, which is definitely a joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, so the building that um, me and Peyton would have had most of our classes in, um, 
had like study areas in it. So often we people students would be there either late at night or on weekends, like when there's not a whole lot going on. And <laughs> there are um, lots of very weird noises happen. And there's one office in particular that's like locked on the weekend like the person who has it isn't there but it sounds like somebody is trying to like is knocking to get out of the office oh my gosh we say it's the ghost of the psc (laughs) i think that's my only ghost story i don't really have any ghost stories i'm not hard on either stance but i probably lean towards no ghosts but like i won't argue with anyone about it mm-hmm. i just yeah something i won't assume ghost <laughs> yeah, yeah i i feel like i'm i'm similar to you on that i'm probably further on the no ghost side but yeah i think i, I feel similar there is however in my hometown our opera house is rumored to be haunted and you know those like haunted canada books like did you guys read those yeah well, it- yeah. Okay, so the story of like the opera house from my hometown is in one of the Haunted Canada books, uh... which was always cool like growing up, but I didn't necessarily believe in ghosts. And I'm not like, I'm still not saying I do. And I just, I don't really know that much about lore of any kind. But I did, um, when I was like in grade 12 or something, I filled in as an usher at the opera house for dance competition season just because I was already on the payroll and it was a little spooky I have one other potential ghost story that again I'm not claiming ghosts but I found weird so me and the in my three roommates while we were in university lived one year in an apartment that had been converted from the old county jail which was very cool like super super cool place to live it had like a like a prison courtyard that we could go out and sit in and like there were jail cells in the washroom or in the laundry room but i had the downstairs bedroom and it was relatively large but i used to sometimes wake up and i've never been told i guess it's possible i sleepwalk i've never had any sleepwalking experiences nobody has ever told me i sleepwalk like i knew everybody there pretty well like i didn't lock my room at night but occasionally i'd wake up and go and and like get ready for class in the morning and realize that my bedroom door had locked in the middle of the night just from the inside like um like it was fine i wasn't locked in but it was just locked My, my thought was it is i'm like it's probably not a ghost i'm sure i'm sure it isn't but if it is um, I'm happy that it's the ghost that's locking me into the bedroom <laughs> to protect me from whatever worse ghosts are outside in the middle of the night. So I, I let that one I, I let that one happen. I wasn't too freaked out by it. I think that's significantly better than like waking up to find that your door had unlocked in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is this is protective ghost. So this chapter starts with the students of the Avonlea school having a surprisingly emotional reaction to the leaving of their teacher, Mr. Phillips. <laughs> this is soon forgotten, though, due to the news that there is a new minister and his wife coming to Avonlea. Anne likes both of them very much, and when Marilla invites them to tea, she is eager to impress them, 
Tea goes well until the cake that Anne made, especially for the occasion, is served. Due to a bottle mix-up, Anne has flavored the cake with anodyne liniment instead of vanilla. Anne is inconsolable, but the minister's wife, Mrs. Allen, comforts Anne, explaining that mistakes happen. I don't know if it's because I've, um, before we recorded this podcast, I listened to Taylor Swift's 10-minute All Too Well, and I'm ready (laughs) to come for Mr. Phillips. (laughs) Um, But why why the emotional reaction girls he, he they're better they're better off without him yeah they even like at one point and lists all the things he did and it's like <laughs> he wasn't a good teacher he wasn't nice to them and then they cite well he had a very very emotional speech and the but the only thing they say from that <laughs> speech is the time has come for us to part which in my opinion is quite basic <laughs> Like, I'm not sure if it's because, like, I actually have the note here. I'm like, is this, like, preteen? They've all got some, like, preteen angst going where, like, things that aren't aren't that deep suddenly become very deep. Like, you know, like, if you think about, like, the stuff that, like, really resonated with you as, like, an 11 or 12-year-old, maybe you guys don't have these memories. But if you, like, look back or you read the book now and you're like, wow it's not that deep (laughs) well they're all like also determined that they're not gonna cry and not because they're like i'm gonna be brave and not cry they're like i will not shed a tear over this man and then they're all bawling yeah yeah it kind of (laughs) i like when ann says i don't think i was crying because i was really so very fond of him i just cried because all the others did it was ruby gillis started it (laughs) Oh, this is the first one to go. Oh, poor Rudy. No, but even them, like, walking home, and then again, every once in a while, somebody, I forget who it was, but somebody just says, the time has come for us to part, and they all start falling again. Oh, my goodness. Just a very, very um, emotional scene at the schoolhouse that I don't feel Mr. Phillips deserved. No, I'm glad he's leaving, though. Yeah, yeah. It also, like, said nothing about Prissy Andrews. Oh, yeah, I was kind of confused. I, they didn't, did they even say why he was leaving? No, I don't think so. I wonder if we'll get more of that story. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what happens there. I don't know if there's, like, a lot of turnover in teachers at this time, or if I honestly don't know. Yeah, um, I think from what I've seen, uh, Mr. Phillips seemed relatively old for a teacher. Because oh. he was like, oh, that makes it worse. <laughs> I'm assuming like just because he had a mustache and he was just so bitter and everything, but like he was at least in his 30s. I, I, I don't know. But later on, like for teachers, they'll even go as young as like 17, 16. So, like, it was usually once, a lot of the time they had young people, once they got out of this schoolhouse and before they moved on to, like, big university, they would do a little bit of teaching. I don't know how well that would, I don't know how effective that would be for the kids that they were teaching, but it's, I've seen it a few times. I think of the 
um, like the Little House on the Prairie books when Laura, like, wasn't Laura like 17 or something and a teacher? And like some of the kids mm-hmm. in, the, in the school that she was teaching at, like some of the boys were like 21 or something. I feel like there would have been a lot of turnaround on female teachers because they would have gotten married and had to stop teaching. But I don't know if male teacher, like, were male teachers often married? Did they often, like, teach for a little bit and then do something else? Like, maybe go into the clergy or, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with men. So, (laughs) when um, Anne is kind of very excited about what's going to happen and she's talking to Diana about what they've planned, Mm-hmm. And she's talking about the the food that they're going to have. Because they made a lot of food. Like, they've been working for days. And she says, we're going to have jellied chicken and cold tongue. And I kind of did some digging on that one. Because when I heard that, I assumed, like, the 1950s, like, jello mold kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what it is. But it's it's like, why would they... Why would they do that for the minister and his wife? And um, <laughs> it turns out that around this time, like gelatin-based dishes were considered like a sophisticated, a really sophisticated kind of thing, just because of how long it would take to prepare gelatin. Like you'd have to boil down bones, and um, you'd have to render it, clarify it turn it into fancy aspects and molded salads and everything and so i was then i was like okay but did morella use packet or did she make it herself because i think at the time in like 1850s they came out with the pre the mixes like cox's gelatin was a famous one and they would pre-mix them but until like the 1890s a lot of like housewives didn't want it because it was like it's not as healthy or like it's cheap and it seems to me a very morilla kind of thing like oh that's just lazy i'm not going to do that you have to put in the work like it seems like a very morilla thing to me yeah so they spent such a long time making this gelatin from scratch i'm assuming and they made jellied chicken and i found a really old recipe um, on that was on like a packet of pre-made gelatin and it sounds a lot like what they would have so <laughs> do you guys want to hear the tiny little recipe for jellied chicken yeah so it says here um, boil a tender chicken in good stock with some vegetables un- until sufficiently cooked let it remain in the liquid until cold take it up remove the skin and carefully cut all the meat off, trim into neat fillets or rounds. Decorate a mold with some tiny sprigs of chervil, which is like a French parsley, I think, um, and tarragon or truffle, and the red meat of tongue, cut into stars, etc. <laughs> Arrange the chicken in neat layers, seasoning nicely and packing closely. Fill up the mold with aspic jelly, which is basically just like a stew, a like a vegetable seasoned stock that you would add the packet into and set aside to cool 
Garnish with halves of hard-boiled eggs, tiny rolls of curled ham, and tufts of parsley. That sounds horrific. <laughs> it's it's the star-shaped tongues that got me. Like, yeah. all of it sounds bad, but... I thought when she said, because I'm assuming this is very similar to what they would have done, and I thought when she said jellied chicken and cow tongue, they would be separate things. Yeah. I'm assuming that the cow tongue is just like in little stars or something. Because I'm assuming that Anne would have tried to make it very fancy. <laughs> so that was that was something that I found. <laughs> wow. One of the things I noticed is like all the, and it kind of goes into that, all of the competition that um, sort of went into having the minister and his wife for tea. Like it was very much you do not want to be outdone as a like hostess by anybody else like even when when Anne's like I'm gonna get some flowers for the table and Marilla's like you are not no and she's like well Mrs. Barry had flowers yes I noticed that too and Marilla's like okay yeah yeah you can do that minister and his wife for tea made me think of there's only been a couple times when I've been at my grandmother's house when we've had their like local um priest over and it's usually to do with some it's often to do with a funeral but i just it reminded me this like getting prepared and everything reminded me of a story um they had invited like our whole family was down for a funeral and they had invited the priest for chinese food uh, but this is like we're we're in Cape Breton, like far away from the main Sydney city of Sydney. There's not a whole lot of Chinese food restaurants, and the Chinese food restaurant close to them had burnt down that day. I think I know what restaurant you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were like, "What do we do? The one Chinese food restaurant in this town has burnt down, but we invited the priest for Chinese food. We can't." We have to give him Chinese. Like we gotta give him Chinese food. Like that can't be, um, that can't be helped. So my aunts ended up having to drive, I think like a two and a half hour round trip to the next Chinese food restaurant, which happens to be in the town that Peyton grew up in, <laughs> <laughs> to get Chinese food. And I'm not even sure. I I don't know. I. I'm assuming you know what res restaurant it is. Like, I'm not sure, Peyton, that they actually serve Chinese food every day of the week there. Yeah, Peyton looks confused. <laughs> I'm trying to think. No, they do. It's like, but it's like primarily a burger place, but they yeah. will do Chinese food. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, it's not we, terrible. We were not, we were not inviting the priest over for high quality Chinese food. It was... But it was, um, so they ended up having to drive the round trip to get Chinese food and bring it back just so we as a family were not disgraced by potentially serving the priests something different than what we had said we were going to serve. That sounds like an Atlantic Canadian sitcom episode. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. Yeah, that same, th this will probably get cut and maybe, maybe we'll have to cut it. I know we've gone too long, but it also reminds me of this same trip. Again, we were up for a funeral 
and I I had been picked up um, rather suddenly from university to go to my grandmother's house to do all these things uh, in relation to the funeral. We had the priest over. Um, so, so I got from, for a birthday gift a couple of years ago from our last guest, Rachel, a pair of socks that are wonderful socks, absolutely amazing. Oh no. But as university students often do, they were socks that had. Oh no. Um, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, swervers on them. But they seem, the backstory to this is they are the only socks that I don't lose for some reason. They're wonderful socks. I don't lose them. So I will wear them to school if I'm going to have my feet or in boots all day. Nobody's going to notice. You never take your boots off in the classroom. So I had happened to have done this this day. Um, and then, unbeknownst to me, I get picked up and taken to my grandmother's. Um, and it is customary to take off your shoes when entering somebody's house <laughs> in the um, Atlantic provinces, probably in most of Canada. So I am sitting there, model grandchild, <laughs> in front of the priest. I'm being helpful. I'm, I'm doing it all. My dad says, Nicole, can you come help me in the kitchen for a second? And of course, of course I can, dad. Model child, model grandchild, we're impressing this priest. And I go to the kitchen and dad was like, what is up with your son? <laughs> what is happening? You have to take off your socks. The priest is here. It is a funeral. Do you think the priest clocked the socks? Pardon? Do you think the priest clocked the socks? I don't think so. I think my dad got it quick enough. Okay. The thing is, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. uh, he never said anything. See, I've heard your parents, like, give you a hard time and, like, kind of tease you about those socks before, but I didn't know this backstory. <laughs> and now it makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that was my screw-up in the having the priest over for a meal and thinking I'm doing a great job but really not I think it's a funny story it would be a less funny story if the priest had noticed but oh so Anne messes up the cake and I wrote how did Marilla do this to Anne again she needs to label stuff mm. yeah Marilla is not following as both me and Peyton with our chemistry <laughs> backgrounds is not following safe lab procedure. You have to label everything. You need I, that work label. Yeah. I guess it makes sense though, because probably for the longest time, it was just her cooking in her kitchen. So she yeah. knew what everything was. But now that Anne's there, especially Anne only pays so much attention to everything. She's the late stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you want to hear, I googled what anodyne liniment is. Uh, do you want to hear what it is? Yes. Um, <laughs> they were supposed to be, the purpose of this um, was to be taken externally. It doesn't say what for. I'm assuming 
probably for rashes or something like that. Like it sounds like it's a medicine. And often they were a harmless mix of Castile soap, alcohol, cotton seed oil or olive oil and camphor. Um, but sometimes they would contain um, monkshood, which is a potent poison, and belladonna, and occasionally lighter ammonia as well. So this could have made um, Mrs. Allen quite sick. Um, and if it was commercial, so that was just the homemade stuff. It w if it was the commercial stuff that was sold around the same time, um, it could have contained ether, alcohol, um, and opium. Which is like, I feel quite common for old-timey medicine, but not something you want to be, you don't want to be drinking ether. At least you're only adding like so much vanilla to a cake. Yeah, so that, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's good, but um yeah not not fun stuff to eat i'm sure it would not have tasted great yeah because if for Anne to mix them up i think she said she had a cold at the time yeah. so she didn't smell it but the consistency had to be at least a bit similar to vanilla in the color yeah and it was an external like i would have thought it was like a cream or something but yeah that's a good point also, I feel like, again, we don't know what's in it. That's um, true. But I feel like even if you have a cold, something that's pure alcohol with ether, you're probably going to smell. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think, I, I am not on the blame Anne train for this. I think this was Marilla's fault entirely. Entirely. I'm also sure that Anne was like, off in another world while she was measuring out the, the vanilla. <laughs> yeah. I was I was gonna say by the time you put the vanilla in, the cake's almost done. But no, it's like it's the wet ingredients. I would think so. My last note for this chapter was just that the famous line is in it about um, I never make the same mistake twice. The one encouraging thing about me is I never make the mis same mistake twice. I have to say that is not correct of me. I make the same mistake twice <laughs> quite a bit. I think that's interesting that that is the iconic line you picked out because the one I labeled from the same like little paragraph was, Marilla, isn't it nice to think that tomorrow is a new day with no mistakes in it yet? I think of that one as being like more famous. I feel like this is a very um, glass half full, glass half empty kind of situation. <laughs> <for Nicole. laughs> I also, I also like Anne's idea that at some point she's going to have made all of her mistakes <laughs> and then she'll, she will never make a mistake again. I like that optimism. It's a little bit flawed, but. <laughs> but we'll let her have it. So this chapter is quite short. Mm -hmm. This chapter begins with Anne being invited for tea with Mrs. Allen. Um, Anne is full of excitement, but is afraid she will make mistakes. Um, the tea ends up going excellent, and she comes home and tells Marilla all about it, along with the exciting news that there will be a new teacher at the Avonlea school who happens to be a woman. In, like, the second page of the chapter, because I find Montgomery kind of 
sometimes she'll put things in quotations and it'll be like and pronouncing pronouncing something wrong or a nod back to something before but um in right here she has a quotation where she describes Anne as all spirit and fire and dew mm -hmm. and i was pretty sure i hadn't heard that said before and it turns out that it's it's a quotation from a poem by robert browning and it's a poem called evelyn hope and it's a really very distress distressing poem it's a very troubling poem like um it's about a man who is lamenting the death of a 16 year old girl named evelyn hope and he speaks of how he loved her so even though he was three times her age um he talks about yeah <laughs> he talks about how pure she was how full of life she was so young she wasn't ready for love and she didn't really know him but he holds out hope that someday they will be re reunited by god and they will finally be able to be married and this is like said as if like he's speaking to her dead body and the quote is uh, where Montgomery gets it from. Is it too late then, Evelyn Hope, what your soul was pure and true, the good stars met in your horoscope, made you of spirit, fire, and dew. So it's a pretty, pretty words. And I'm pretty sure that Ella Montgomery just like liked the way that the character was described because she was like excitable and young and pure and everything. So she got that for Anne, but it's when you read the rest of the poem it's just it's not great no <laughs> no very no. mr phillips oh, yes very mr phillips why but that's what i had for that chapter <laughs> wow see i um not sure it quite ties in but i had my note for this chapter was Marilla kind of explains her reasoning for not indulging indulging Anne's excitable attitudes and that she her reasoning is that like Anne if she doesn't learn to be less excitable is going to even though she feels really high highs she's also going to feel in her life very very low lows which I don't know if I quite agree with Marilla, but it's kind of nice to see that there is some amount of reasoning to the sort of what, what can come off as a little bit cold way that Marilla acts around Anne. And it is a cute scene because I think, I think it describes, I don't have the page number, but like when Anne's telling Marilla about these things, I think doesn't Anne have her head in Marilla's lap and Marilla's yeah. like with her hair? Yeah. Which is quite cute. And my only other note was the uh, stir about the female teacher. And I know we've had contra we've we've had Mrs. Rachel Lind is a controversial figure in some ways, but I find it interesting that she she herself is very, very into politics and stuff like that. Um, but the idea of a female teacher in Avonlea is a dangerous innovation. She 
Yeah, because she said she thinks everything would be much better if women had the vote. And then she goes to say, well, I think having a female teacher is kind of a dangerous thing. Yeah. yeah she only, it, her beliefs only half align with that suffragette I talked to at Sherbrooke Village. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's, she, she might be out for herself a little more than she's out for w- women in general. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things is um, whenever Anne is talking to Marilla and she's kind of parroting back what I assume like Rachel has told her. So I'm, I assume they talk quite a bit. She's probably at her house because Rachel has a lot to say always. And she says, and Anne's talking about people and how some people are good. And she says, some people are naturally good, you know, and others are not. I'm one of the others. Mrs. Lynn says I'm full of original sin. <laughs> I I saw that too. I was like that. And then I think maybe last chapter, I forgot to say it, but she was when she was making the cake, she was talking about how you can't trust M- Mrs. Lynn says you can't trust baking baking soda these days um because everything is so adulterated nowadays. She's like, "But the Tories would never try to fix that." <laughs> like it's like what is Mrs. Lynn t- t- talking to Anne about? Yeah. They seem they they seem to have a lot of out of text conversations. Mm-hmm. Like, though, I kind of feel like Anne is perhaps one of these people that people just tell things to because she's easy to talk to. Like, people she she knows a lot about what's happening because people will just like tell her stuff. But mm-hmm. is that is that our podcast for today? most of our notes i think so nice thank you everybody for listening um join us next week as we discuss chapters 23 to 26 if you'd like to hear more from us please follow our instagram at gals of green gables pod or send us an email at gals of green gables pod at gmail.com we love to hear from you guys and we love to hear that people are reading along and what you thought of the podcast so Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. And thank you for joining us, Peyton. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun. (laughs) It's always really fun to have a guest.